Well, good morning, everyone. I thought I was going to say evening. I did it twice in the sermon yesterday. I said morning, even after Steve brought it to attention. So I fully expect to do it again. Um, If you do not know who I am, I am the student minister at our St. Albans location. And Steve, I think Jay said it well, is that when the Bible says to hide the word of God in your heart, you did it well. Did you miss the joke? He forgot the verse and then the, the joke flopped. It's fine. I can handle it. I'm a student minister. You just got it, didn't you? We're here. We're here. Don't worry. Again, being a dad, student minister, it's all, it's all here. But no, I, can we just give it up to all the people who have served and have volunteered for this weekend, please? Can we just give them a hand? It is not easy. Um, it is not easy to dedicate so much time that we could be spending with family and with friends and, and celebrating this holiday, and yet people continue to serve. And the same goes for you this morning. If you made your way out on Christmas morning, to spend the time with us and to worship. But before we dig in, can I pray? Father, thank you for this morning, for these people and for the world that you give us, God, and and for so many things that we take for granted every single day. God, we wake up on days like Christmas or maybe even Thanksgiving or or Easter, and God, it's really easy for us to get in maybe into the, the, the spiritual part of the season. And God, when those seasons are over, then we go back to our regular lives and we forget the whole reason why they are considered holidays to begin with. God, it's not about presents. It's not about food. God, those are just simply acts that we use to celebrate the real reason. And we can say that Jesus is the reason for the season, but we forget that more often than not. We put that on the back burner and we remind ourselves at certain moments, like, let's remember. But God, it needs to be the center of everything that we do. So Father, may my words not be mine. God, let your spirit speak through us in every conversation that we have and allow us to be vessels for you. In your name I pray, amen. So we've been going through this series of angels. And whenever you look through the Christmas story, the nativity story, we hear a lot about these angels. Now, there's some misconceptions about angels that we just need to clear up really, really quick. Is that they are not like us. They are their own separate created beings. God made them with the simple fact of performing tasks, of delivering messages. The Greek word actually means angelos, which means messenger. And if you want to put a definition to it, it's a being that is to deliver a task or a message. And in scripture, you have a couple of different times where the angels are mentioned specifically by name. You have uh, Michael the archangel, who might be the most well-known one, and he's in Daniel uh, chapter 10 and 12 in the Old Testament, in Jude 9 and Revelation. And right there, you can see that angels do not have the same biological clock as us. They are past, present, and future. And they have things that they have to do in that time. So with Michael, you have another one named Gabriel. And Gabriel actually appears in Daniel chapter 8 and 9 with Michael. But a couple other instances with Gabriel is in uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, whenever he comes to talk to Zechariah in a dream. Zechariah is getting ready to have a son who is John the Baptist. And he affirms to Zechariah, hey, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah didn't believe him, and he shut his mouth for a season of time uh, because he didn't listen. That sounds nice, right? And then you had Zechariah. Then you have Gabriel appearing to Mary whenever he's telling her, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be named Emmanuel. He's going to be Jesus. 
And then you see Gabriel again, whenever he comes to Joseph to affirm to him, like your wife is going to get pregnant. No, she didn't cheat on you. So whenever you hear about these angels coming, they have a specific task that they are delivering, a message, something that somebody needs to hear. But in Luke chapter two, we have another instance, and that's kind of where we're going to be camping out for most of the day today, uh, is in Luke chapter two. And it reads like this. And they're out, and the, uh, and the, the Gabriel's coming, and he's talking to the shepherds, and he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. But we're not focusing just on those verses, but more specifically, and if you can picture it like a scene in a movie, Gabriel is talking to the shepherds. And then when he's done saying these words, it's like the heavens, and this is just my mental image here, opens up and there's a whole host of angels. And they start singing this in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And that brings us to the title of the message today, When God Gives Peace. When God Gives Peace. Now, being a student minister, not only can I handle my jokes falling flat, but I also like some interaction. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you guys would say that you feel peace 100% of the time in your life? Meaning that you always feel happy. Fantastic. If anybody raised their hand, you would have ruined the message. On the flip side, how many of you guys would say you don't feel peace 100% of the time? Nobody feels 100% peace all the time. Think about it. Think about how many times we wake up and we don't feel peace at our jobs. How many times we don't feel at peace in our minds, in our hearts, in our relationships, in our friendships. Peace is something that we all want, we all crave, and we all wish we could have more regularly but yet it's so hard for us to get. There's a story that, that, that came to mind of, a, of an older gentleman who had his, it was, it was Christmas break, they come, the kids come back from Christmas break and this, and this older gentleman sitting in his house and these high school boys would get off the bus from school and every day they would get off the bus, they'd come over and they'd whack his mailbox with their backpacks. Now, this happened for a few weeks and then this older gentleman's like, it's time to take care of this. So he goes out. And he says, hey, guys, I love what you're doing to my mailbox. I'm going to give you $5 every time you hit my mailbox. And they're like, sounds great. So they, for a couple of weeks, they go out. Every time they get off the school bus, they hit his mailbox with their backpacks. He come out and give them $5. Well, after some time passes, he walks out and he goes, hey, guys, listen, uh, I can't pay you the $5 anymore. I can give you $1 every time you hit my mailbox. They're a little bit more reluctant because they're like, well, we're, we're, not, we're, we're losing money here. But hey, we're still getting money for hitting a, a man's uh, mailbox. So a few weeks pass, they come out, hit his mailbox, get a, couple, uh, get, get a dollar. A few weeks pass, old guy comes out and he says, hey, I can't give you the dollar anymore. I can only give you a quarter. They're getting a little angry at this. I'm a little, a little, little upset. They're like, hey, like, we, were, we said $5 and now we're down to a quarter. You know what? It's cool. We're still getting money. So a couple weeks pass, go out, hit the mailbox, and they get off the bus, get 25 cents. Wouldn't you know it? A few weeks later, he comes out and says, hey, guys, listen, I love what you're doing, but I can't pay you anymore. And they, they look at him angry, and they say, well, we're not going to do it for free anymore. And they go on their way. Old guy walks in his house, sits down, and says, finally. <laughs> Sometimes, see, you guys got that joke? Sometimes we 
think that peace is like that, that we have to pay for it. And in some instances, we do. Whenever we think about peace as being as something that we, that we earn, that we have to, to pay to get, well, that seems a little bit contradictory to what we wish we had, right? But when we look at scripture, it's actually the opposite for peace. God wants us to have peace. The kind of peace we're talking about is what God has put into place. But whenever we initially start thinking about peace, we start thinking about this thing called world peace. And we all wish we had that. Nations across the world wish that we had more world peace. If you think about just right now with Russia and the Ukraine, we just want some kind of resolution there. We want it to be over. We think about everything inside of America right now. Things seem like so much chaos. And there are times where we look back at our relationship with Jesus and we're like, listen, I want to follow you, but there's so much happening out here. Why can't it just be like you always said in peace? Why is there not more of this peace? But if we look at scripture, did Jesus ever say, I'm coming to bring world peace? Matter of fact, if we look at scripture, it kind of says the opposite, is that things are gonna get a whole lot worse before they ever get better. And yet our expectations every single day are we should have peace. Well, let's look at some more scripture. In Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And why was that so big? Because back then, leading up to this point of Jesus, everybody was assuming that he was going to be this military operative who was going to lay the law down on Rome and clear out everything. And there was going to be world peace. So for this guy who says, I am this savior, I'm going to be, the, I am this Messiah. I am the son of God and I am the son of man. I am 100% God. I am 100% man. For them to say, well, you're not doing anything to bring this peace. And he says, well, I'm not coming to bring world peace. I'm coming to bring a sword. Well, that kind of conflicts with what we think about peace, right? And yet whenever Jesus affirms that he was coming, let's look in John chapter one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All the things that were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness has always existed since Adam and Eve in the world. And anytime you have light, light and darkness will conflict because they can't be existing together. If there's one and there's the other, well, then which one is it? So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world and there's a world that's full of darkness, there's going to be conflict. On the other end, the darkness is the devil, Satan. And what Satan wants in your world is doubt. He wants questions. He, wants you to, he, he simply wants you to think, am I where I need to be? Is God really there? Is God really, really real? Think about with Adam and Eve. Satan didn't make them do anything. All he did was plant a seed of doubt in their minds that made them fall. And because of that, we have a world full of darkness. And yet when Jesus came, he says, I am the light of the world. Why does the devil want that for you? Because if you are focused, if you're focused on the chaos of your circumstances, your focus is not on Christ. 
and the chaos of the circumstances are, are more often than not what stick in our mind. But good news is, so far, happy Christmas, right? In Psalm 29, verse 11, God, it says this, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this, right whenever he's leaving his disciples with like their final words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And in John 16, just a few verses down, it says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't say, I'm, I, I'm going to give peace to the whole world the way that you guys think it is. He says, I have overcome the world. He doesn't say that your life is going to be perfect. He says, but take heart, because when you have tribulation, understand I have overcome it. And yet we get so angry and upset when the opposite happens. It's like, wait, God, you said that when I turned and be a Christian, everything was going to be great. Well, no, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have trials. So God, if you say you want this peace, where is it? And Jesus is looking at us saying, right here. But what does that all tell us? From the verses of darkness and talking about light and talking about this peace that God wants for us, what that tells me, it's possible to have peace in the middle of our chaos. You see, whenever the shepherds are being told this news from the angels, uh, understand, that was not a big job to have. Being a shepherd was not like the tip dog thing in your family. If you think back to David, whenever the prophet comes and he's having all of his brothers pass in front of him to see who God has chose. David wasn't even there. His dad didn't even think that he should be there because he's never gonna get chosen. He's a shepherd. He's the youngest one. He's out in the field. We don't need to get him. And yet all of his brothers pass, not him, not him, not him. And the prophet says, hey, there's one more, right? And he says, go to get David. David walks in front of him. He's the one that God chose. Being a shepherd was not something that was great. Being a shepherd was not the job to have. Matter of fact, you were almost considered, typically you were considered unclean by ceremonial standards to where if you were going to offer a sacrifice like the Old Testament taught, you had to be ceremonial clean. And the shepherds were not. So when, when, when people start talking about what were these shepherds doing when they got this news, a lot of people would say that they were actually guarding the ceremonial lambs. So it, let me put it into perspective. Let's say that you are expecting a baby. And let's say that your family, this is your family's first grandchild, your first child. Like it's gonna be big news when you tell. Let's say that I go down in downtown Charleston and I hand my phone, don't even hand my phone. I say, hey man, and I just find a random stranger on the street. And I say, hey, take out your phone. I'm gonna have you call my mother-in-law and I need you to tell her that we're pregnant. She's not gonna believe it right? Or if she does, she goes, well, wait a second. Who are you? Why are you calling my phone? Where's my family? You know what I mean? It loses some of its excitement. And when you look about whenever these shepherds get this news, initially, it's not a big deal, but when you realize that their cultural status wasn't very high, why would they get this massive information? Why would they be the ones to tell this news? And why are we reading about it in the scriptures? Because it's true. Let me explain a little bit more. 
When we look at how the Old Testament and the New Testament are put together, how they're compiled, you don't always want information in books that don't look favorable on the people that it is writing about, correct? Meaning that if somebody's writing a story about me, I don't really want them to say bad things about me in my biography. But what makes it more trustworthy is if there are things that don't make me look good in it. Does that make sense? So with the shepherds, it's not good, according to that status, that they're getting this news. But now we look at it in, the new, in, in our world, in our, our eyes today, and it helps prove the trustworthiness because that never should have happened. Whenever you think about whenever Jesus got out of the tomb, who were the first ones to see uh, that the tomb was empty? Women. Women were not looked on as favorable back in, the new t- back in that time. They weren't even allowed to be a part of the court system unless specifically told that they had to be. And yet they were the ones who got the news. And why is it more believable? Because it shouldn't have happened. Why is it important that the disciples weren't there uh, whenever Jesus was, was on the cross and, and, and they ran away from it? Because if your best friends leave you in your moment of need, do you really want that information to be told? Unless... It's true. So the shepherds getting this is like me having that random person call my mother-in-law, tell her that we're pregnant, and then she calls us and says, no, we really are. It's what makes it true. The shepherds getting this information solidifies a few things. But the first thing is in Ephesians chapter two, which is probably one of my favorite chapters in scripture where it says, but now in Christ Jesus, and I don't have this on the screens, You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And what Paul's talking about there in Ephesians is that there was always this mix between Jew and Gentile, and they couldn't mix. And the moment that the blood of Christ was spilled on that cross, there is no longer a dividing wall between you and God. It's just you with God. It's Jesus's blood that brings you closer to him, and that's it. So what does this all mean? We're talking about peace and we're talking about shepherds and we're talking about them bringing us this news where it says glory to God in the highest. Well, how do we get peace about this? How do we get this peace that God talks about that Jesus claims to be, that we claim to need? And it's pretty simple if we get it into one bottom line. Give glory to God. I mean, give God the glory in your life. Give God the glory in your life. And that's a lot easy, uh, it's really easy to say, but it's really hard to apply. We know what we should do and we just can't do it. It's what Paul says is that I know what I need to be doing, but I can't seem to do it. I know what I shouldn't be doing and yet I keep on doing it. So when we say give God the glory in your life, understand that it's decisions that we make. And the remaining time I have, I just wanna go through four quick points. Number one, be joyful. In our Luke chapter two verse, uh, uh, it says this, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. Being joyful doesn't mean always having a smile on your face. Being joyful doesn't always mean that you have to be happy. 
if we're being honest, there are circumstances and there are seasons in our life where things aren't good and we don't feel happy. And yet we try to put on the face and say, well, no, God wants me to. God wants you to feel the things that you feel, but that doesn't mean you have to take your joy with it. Being joyful means that you're making a decision to say, I know things don't look good. I know things are a struggle, but I'm choosing to have joy even in the midst of it. I know that I'm having joy even when my air conditioning is out in the middle of the summer. I'm choosing to have joy whenever my heat's out in the three degree weather. I'm choosing to have joy when somebody that I love is in the hospital. I'm choosing to have joy when my kids are going absolutely bananas on Christmas Eve night when we're trying to make cookies for Santa. Just last night, (laughs) speaking to me. Being joyful is, 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 is something that we choose to make. But sometimes you have to dig deeper to do it. Number two, be grateful. And when I was going through this sermon, I realized that I think this is the one, maybe the second one that we struggle with the most. Being grateful is something that we have to also choose to do. Being grateful means, like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And come down a couple verses. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of my favorite people to read is a guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a preacher and a theologian in World War II in Nazi Germany. And he was a part of a revolution to, to keep the church as part of like what the Bible says and not let the Nazis overtake it. He actually helped some of his family members who were Jews get across the border during that time, which is a big no-no. So he ended up getting caught and he got put in a concentration camp near the end of the war. He was also a part of an assassination attempt to kill Hitler. But he says this in one of his letters while he was in prison, waiting his death. In normal life, one is often not at all aware that we always receive infinitely more than we give and that gratitude is what enriches life. We get used to receiving things, but the thing that makes our life better is being thankful in every single thing that we get, do, and have. Henry Ward Beecher says, gratitude is the fairest blossom which springs from the soul. And another person says, gratitude is an attitude that will determine your attitude. Choosing to be thankful, choosing to be grateful, regardless of our circumstances, enriches the life that God's blessed us with. And that means even in the bad, even in the chaos, and it's only through the blood. Number three, be worshipful. After the shepherds visited Mary and Joseph and they see this baby, it says that they go back to their sheep and in verse 20, and they were glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen. Being worshipful means that we are aware that yes, there is a musical aspect to it, but it's everything that dwells inside of us. It's everything that we do. We can do it whenever we're reading scripture. You can do it from the seats whenever you're there. We live in a, the Western part of the world where we, we're a little bit more timid when it comes to worship. We're nervous to raise our hands. We're nervous to sing out loud. Why? Because we may look weird. We may not sound very good. And we feel like this, this anxiety to say, I don't want people to hear me. Understand, God doesn't care what you sound like. Worshiping is not between you and everybody else. It's between you and Jesus. And that can happen any way possible. 
You find the things that bring you closer to the spirit of God and you do them. Let's not complicate that. Be worshipful. And last but not least, be faithful. Like I mentioned with Paul is that there is this pull between Paul of, I want to do what I shouldn't do. I'm sorry, I want to do what I need to do, but I just can't seem to do it. And I keep doing the things that I shouldn't do. And we do the same thing in our world today where we know what the Bible says, but it seems so hard to do sometimes. And we just keep doing the opposite. Being faithful is part of this journey of finding peace. Why? Because in that, in that Luke chapter two, uh, glory to God in the highest and on, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And what's going to please God when he looks down and sees his people worshiping regardless of what's going on in their life? being faithful among everything that we do, being faithful in the worst time of our lives, being faithful in understanding that regardless our journey, regardless what level we are at, we just simply start with one step. If it's belief in God, if it's the next step in your relationship with him. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In Revelation chapter two, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Peace is something that God wants for every person. But being faithful, being understanding of what it is, is to understand first and foremost, faith is a gift. It's nothing you get to do for yourself. There is no amount of work that you're ever going to do. And we even read that, that, that when faith is a gift, we have this as a gift because if we can put it on ourselves, then we're gonna boast in the fact that we earned this. And God says, that's the exact reason why it's a gift because you do nothing but accept gifts. Because if you don't accept it, then it's not a gift. So how do we be faithful? Or how do we express this faith? We express our faith in confession understanding who Jesus is as our Lord. We express our faith in the repentance of sin. That means that whenever we realize that we're doing something wrong, it's not just simply saying, I'm sorry. It's a meaning completely turning around, changing our mind, changing our attitude, changing the scenarios that are causing the roadblocks and removing them. We express our faith by being baptized into Christ, the full submersion into the water and to understand that this is our outward symbol to say, I am a follower unapologetically. And last, we express our faith through a life of trust and obedience to God's word. We live in a world where that seems to be the opposite. And what's going to show people who Jesus is? Us. That was his last commission to his people, is to go into all of the world. Don't stay cooped up in your church. Don't stay cooped up in your small group. You go out and you do something with the information you get with the information that you're reading about. And then through that, you find peace in the turmoil and in the tribulation. The band's gonna come up and, and during this last song, if there's anything that you wanna talk about, if there's anything you wanna pray about, understand I'll be up here and we'll do anything that we can to help you. The point of the church is to create a community to do this life together. And there is no amount of, of, of bad that we can do that's going to change God's love for you. And realize that this Christmas season, today, what we're celebrating today is only possible because God loved you enough to make himself into a man 100%
to die a death that we deserved and to become the perfect sacrifice that the Old Testament law couldn't fulfill. We got to stand with me?